today in the series. And so we've, we've worked through four uh, disciplines. There are 12 that we're looking at. And uh, our overarching theme for this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And one of the things that we've been emphasizing in this series is just that when you go to church, you tend to hear a lot about follow Jesus. And then the question is, like, what does that actually look like in the midst of a busy life? What does it look like to follow Jesus? How do you do that practically other than show up at a service once a week and, you know, praise God and, and listen to some scripture? Like, what does it look like, you know, at your job and with your family? Uh, and these, these 12 disciplines, they're actually 12 practical things we, we can do to follow Jesus. Uh, and, and you'll see it today. It's, I'm going to emphasize it more than normal, but uh, the, the discipline itself isn't what saves us. It's G- Jesus has done all of the work necessary to make us right with God. So to be saved is to believe him, to believe what he's done. But these disciplines, these are actually practical things that you and I can do that we put ourselves in this place where we say, God, I'm, I'm serious about this relationship. You know, if you're, if you're in a relationship where you're dating somebody or you're married, you, you know it's very important to spend time with that person, Right? Uh, marriages don't do well when you get married and then all of a sudden you're like, all right, you know, we got the ring on and we signed the papers and we're, we're good now. Um, by the way, we have a, a couple that's getting married. They've, they've recently put this on Facebook, so I know that I can say it. Uh, but if you want to congratulate Caleb and Rachel, you can. And they're, they're probably like, why are you saying this publicly? But yeah, they're getting married soon. So. <laughs> Caleb is not going to breakfast with me this week. He's like, <laughs> why is he? Seriously, like anybody that's you know going to be talking to a couple that's going to be getting married, we, you wouldn't give the advice of like, yeah, you know, you, you spend all this time getting to know the person, and then once you're married, once you get the ring on, the papers are signed, you just you stop spending time. That's a that's a really bad uh, that's bad marriage advice. And the disciplines are like they're just ways that we can actually engage in our relationship with Jesus. And and the thing that's different about our relationship with Jesus that's different than a marriage is that he's God, okay? Jesus is, is, is God in the flesh, and to have a relationship with him is to be changed. So the longer you spend with him, the more time you spend with him, the more he changes your heart. You know, I shared with you recently that I, I pray for you all by name. This, like, this series has become really convicting for me. I've got, you know, if, you, if you've been coming here on a regular basis, your name is written down on a clothespin, and I pull it off, and I pray for you by name. And, and I don't honestly, like when I look around the room, I don't know always what to pray for you all. You know, I, I don't know all of your situations, what you're facing, your stresses, your struggles, the things that overwhelm you. But consistently, one of the things that I pray is, is first that you'd have an increased sense of God's presence, but also just that Jesus would be formed in you. Because as, as your, your pastor, like the deepest desire of my heart is that Jesus would do such a deep work in you that you start becoming more like him, that the decisions you make are decisions that he desires for you to make, that you'd be aware of his presence in a rich and a profound way. That is the desire uh, of my heart. And these disciplines are ways that we, we can actually spend time with God and encountering him and, and experiencing him changing our lives. And so today's discipline is simplicity. And I just want to ask you this question. I used to get asked this a lot. There was a guy in my life when I was younger. He asked me this, like, whenever he'd see me. He said, do you think Jesus would wear a Rolex? 
okay? It's a silly question, but I want you to just think about it for a second. Like, do you think Jesus would wear a Rolex or drive a Maserati or, I don't know, something really fancy? Like, do you think Jesus would, like, would flaunt wealth in a way? And the reason this guy asked me this question all the time was because he accused me. He's like, Nathan, I think you have a bit of a, a poverty mentality, okay? And most of you know this if you know me. I grew up in a, uh, it was like a homeless shelter and a drug rehab program. And so a lot of the people that I knew came from nothing. A lot of the people that I was becoming friends with are people that were getting out of prison. They were ex-cons. Some of them were current cons, okay? Uh, and, and like a lot of people that just came from nothing. And, and so I just was like, I got used to really embracing not having anything. And this guy that, you know, he, he believed a little bit differently than I did about wealth and all this stuff. And, and he was like, no, like, God wants to bless you financially. He wants you to be rich. And I, I wrestled with this in a big way. And so he'd always ask me, he's like, so you think Jesus would wear a Rolex, right? And I, like, I would struggle with this question and we'd go back and forth. And I'm not going to just give you an answer with that, but I just want you to know that that is a, a debate that exists within the church. People look at the life of Jesus and some people look at his life and they say, oh, Jesus was, he was wealthy. He had whatever he wanted, Right? And, and they point to the kind of clothes he had or, or just that he had access to everything. Well, one time, you might remember the story, one time Jesus had to pay taxes and for whatever reason he didn't have like actual physical cash on him. So he looked at Peter, one of his closest friends and disciples, and said, just go down to the water, pull a fish out, and there'll be money in the, in the fish's mouth, and then you'll have enough to pay the taxes. So Peter's like, okay. So he goes down, goes fishing, pulls the fish out, and sure enough, there's money there, right? Like kind of a bizarre story, right? You're like, I mean, if a guy can go pull money out of a fish's mouth, I mean, that's a pretty wealthy thing to do, right? Like, not wealthy in the terms of how we think of it. But then there's other people that would emphasize the, the fact that Jesus would say things like, you know, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so when people wanted to follow him, he'd remind them, like, I, I don't have a consistent place to lay my head or a place to go. And so people would emphasize Jesus having nothing. And there's this debate that exists within the church of, like, whether or not Jesus had money, whether he was wealthy, whether he was rich. And it's kind of a divisive issue in the church. And Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. So you, you, you probably agree with me. Heaven and hell is a very important subject. Salvation, knowing Jesus, like these are, these are really important topics and subjects. Jesus talked about money. If you read his teaching, he talked about money more than he talked about anything else. And today, we're going to be talking about simplicity. And I want to encourage you, I think that the, what we're going to pull from Scripture might be different than what you expect. And, and so I just want you to kind of sit with that question a little bit. I don't know where you land on that debate. Maybe you've never thought of it. Maybe you think it's weird that I asked you whether Jesus would wear a Rolex. Maybe that's just kind of a bizarre thought. Maybe you're like, no, he was, he was poor. Or maybe you're like, of course he would. Jesus, of course Jesus was, was wealthy. He wants all of us. Okay, So just, just kind of think about that. And we're going to emphasize simplicity today. And here's a definition. This will be on the screen just to get us started. And then we're going to read a couple passages of Scripture. Simplicity cultivates the great art of letting go. Simplicity aims at loosening inordinate attachment to owning and having. Simplicity brings freedom and with it, generosity. Okay, one of the themes in today's message is that simplicity equals freedom. So the, the message today isn't about money necessarily. It has a lot to do with money, but it's really about simplicity. 
And I want to talk to you about what, what does simplicity, for somebody who's sold out for Jesus, just loves Jesus, that's filled with Jesus, what does simplicity look like? What does it look like to be simple? So uh, I'm going to read a couple passages of Scripture today because, like I said, Jesus talks about this more than any other topic. And I think that his words are always way better than mine. Okay, last week I, I challenged us with the topic of study. And I said, be a Berean. You know, a Berean was somebody in Acts. Uh, they're from Berea. But they actually would listen to a preacher and then they'd go back to the Scriptures and say, is it true? And so today I want to read... Jesus' words directly from Scripture, and I just want you to listen maybe differently. Uh, The the words will be on the screen, so you can follow along. You can follow along in the Scriptures, or if you just want to close your eyes and listen, you can can do that too, but just listen to Jesus' words on this incredibly important topic. I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll read this. Lord, I just want to thank you that we, we get to gather openly like this and talk about your Word. And God, we also realize that Doing this is just, like, it goes against the grain of culture. We're exposed to messages throughout most of our week that are not in line with your truth. We, we get exposed to things people say, to perspectives, to opinions that are, that are so different than what you've revealed to us in the scriptures, and it can be confusing. But God, I just pray that as we read your word today, that we wouldn't just read it and, and understand it intellectually, but that we'd actually understand what you're saying as it pertains to our lives and as it pertains to following you. May we hear your voice uh, and, and may we respond to what you say with, with enthusiasm and obedience uh, and with joy. And may we become people that are, that are simple in the way that you des- desire for us to be simple, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 19, and we're going to read to verse 33. So Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Just as you listen to that, Jesus is saying, don't store up your treasures here on earth, store them in heaven. And so one of the questions we should ask is, how do you do that? How do you store treasures in heaven? I know how to do it here. I know how to set up an RRSP or savings fund or whatever. But, but what does it look like to store treasures in heaven? Ask questions of the, of the text. Jesus says in verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That word heart has to do with the seat of your emotions. So your treasure, you know how you find out where your treasure is? Where do you spend most of your time thinking? Is most of your thoughts on things of this earth? Or is it on the things of God? Jesus was saying, you know, wherever, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. There your thoughts will continually be. Verse 22. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Notice the terms Jesus is using here, enslaved to money. Most of us get, it's not that we just like money or want it, we become its slave. Verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. 
Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You know, for those of us that are, are given to worry, and we struggle with anxiety and, 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 and worry and those things, like it's a pretty jarring realization to realize that you can worry and worry and worry and worry and not add one single moment to your life. Jesus points that out. Not to make people feel more unsettled. In some ways, he is trying to make them feel unsettled, but to get them to focus their thoughts on, on life itself, which is God. Verse 28, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. How many of us, if we're honest, would say, well, those things actually dominate my thoughts a lot of the time? Jesus isn't teaching this to shame people. He's teaching this to expose this false idol. He's saying, you're trusting in something that can never satisfy you, can never save you, and will only increase your worry. You should be trusting in your Father who loves you deeply, who if you knew Him, you'd know you'd never have to worry. Verse, the last verse of this, what we're going to read, is how Jesus ends this. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus is telling his followers to be singularly focused. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your obsession. Not, not money, not wealth, not status. Like, seek first the kingdom, and then God will take care of everything else. We're going to read one more passage today. And usually we focus on one passage and, and just try to pick it apart. Uh, but Jesus, because he talks about this subject so much, I just think it's really important. We'll read, it, read a couple different places where he talks about it. And this one's more of a story. So what we just read, Jesus is teaching about money. He's teaching about trust, okay? And then this here, what we're going to read, is a story. It's a really famous story from the, from the Gospel of Mark where Jesus talks to this rich young ruler, okay? And what I want you to know the guy that we're going to read about here, it's in Mark, and you can go there if you want, Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 17 uh, through 31. Jesus, he's talking to this young man who would have been the guy that you see in church every week with his arms lifted up. He's doing all of the right things. Okay, so not only is he wealthy and he's got a house and, you know, he's, he's you know, probably married really well and all the stuff, but he just, like, he's been following God, following all the rules his whole life. That's the kind of person Jesus is talking to here. The kind of person that you would think, oh, he's going to get the blessing of God for sure. And, and the interaction is really uh, quite telling. So uh, starting in verse 17, the rich young man. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I just want you to catch, he's asking the most important question. Okay, if I'm a pastor. If somebody comes to me and says, how do I get to be with Jesus for all eternity? Like, that is the most important question somebody could ever ask me. I, I travel sometimes. When I'm on a plane and I'm thinking, like, Lord, how do I share Jesus with the person next to me? Like, nobody asks questions like this. I wish they did. 
right? Like, I wish someday I'd sit down beside somebody on a plane and they just look at me and they're like, oh, you're a pastor. How do I, like, how do I spend forever in heaven? Like, I'd probably fall out of my chair, right? I'd be like, here's an opportunity, right? And, but, but just look at Jesus answers this so differently than what you would think uh, he would say. And, and it's quite telling and quite convicting if, if we're listening. Jesus, first off, corrects him. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anybody. Honor your father and mother. And now listen to his response. He goes, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now what's interesting, he's like, okay, I've been doing everything they said to do in church. And Jesus doesn't say, oh no, you haven't. He challenges him further. He's he, looking at the man. Jesus felt genuine love for him. He says, there is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That's quite a, like it's quite a response from Jesus, isn't it? You know, we, we emphasize a lot John 3.16 and, and how if we want to be saved, you know, we, we believe in Jesus. We believe in what he did on the cross. And that is true. It is believing. But Jesus looks at this young man and he sees in this young man that this young man, he actually has another God that he's worshiping. And it's the God of, it's the God of money. It's the God of the, the, the things of this world. And Jesus says, you can't possibly believe in me while you worship that other God. And so he says, sell everything you have and come follow me. And the, and the story goes on. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. If Jesus was like most preachers, he would have chased after the guy and been like, well, at least I'd get him to tithe, right? Like, I'll just get him, he'd give, our, he'd give money to our ministry, right? But Jesus lets this guy just walk away, because he was dealing with a real heart issue that this guy was struggling with, and I think probably most of us struggle with as well. Jesus looked around, and he said to his disciples, because he knew everybody was shocked, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Because you've got to understand, the disciples thought to be rich and to follow the commandments is the epitome of what it meant to follow God. And so when Jesus responds this way to this guy, who would have been highly esteemed, the, the disciples are looking, going, well, if he can't be saved, who can be? I mean, he's the best of us. He follows all the commandments. He gives money to the synagogue. You know, he, he, he does all the things right. And you're saying that he can't follow you? Like, if he can't be saved, then who can be? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now, in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So these are some really profound words from Jesus. And I want you to know, Jesus isn't advocating here for like people earning their salvation. 
If this guy that Jesus just talked to in, in the book of Mark went away thinking, well, if I just give away enough money, then God will accept me, then he would have missed what Jesus is saying. What Jesus was really getting at was he was challenging the guy with, with who he worshipped. Like he, he, he was challenging him to, to, to be singularly focused on God, to, to get to the point where he had full and total trust in God. This, uh, this will be on the slide here. Simplicity is to be singularly focused on the kingdom of God. Singularly focused. And I want to ask us the question as a gathered group of people that probably most of us in this room would claim to be followers of Jesus. Are we singularly focused on the kingdom of God? Because we, sometimes we think, when we think of this, this concept or this topic of simplicity, we think of maybe somebody who drives a simple car, people who wear simple clothes, people who choose not to flaunt their wealth or whatever it is. But Jesus here, he, he's like, it's like he's, he's seeing this debate between wealth and, and poverty, and he finds this middle road and he says, no, it's actually not about whether you have a ton of money or whether you have nothing. It's about whether you're singularly focused on the kingdom of God. Like, and I want to ask you and I this question. What is the driving passion of our heart and our focus? Where, where is it that you spend your time thinking and dreaming and meditating? Is it on the things of God or is it on the things of this world? Because in this world, we've got, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's some orders in the, in the Catholic Church. If you want to be a priest, you have to take, a, a, there's a three-part vow where you do a vow of poverty, obedience, and chastity. So, so one of the vows you take to go into ministry is this vow of poverty. It's this idea that like, well, if I, just, if I just say that wealth is a bad thing, if I stay away from it, and if I vow to be, you know, impoverished and poor, then I'll be closer to God, right? And then, and then on the other side of it, there's this idea that like, well, if I truly believe God, if I truly follow him, he'll, he'll bless me with, with wealth and with finances and all these things. And Jesus is like right in the middle of all that. And he's saying, no, like the point is, is to be singularly focused on the kingdom of God. And I just want to ask you to reflect on that for a second. It, what is your singular focus? Jesus picks on money, but really what he's getting at is our internal motivations. There's, there's things in, like, we have this internal desire for safety, for security, that is, uh, most times it is apart from what God desires for us to desire. And so I want to put up uh, on the screen so, uh, some other internal motivations that, that could fit right along with money. So you've got money, possessions, achievements, status, experiences, human relationships, morality. That sometimes our, our internal desire is that we desire achievements or we even desire morality. As a Jesus follower, I've been really convicted by this, uh, this realization that if I desire to be seen as a good person, that I'm, my, my thinking, my desires are off base. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, like, your singular focus has to be on the kingdom of God. And if there's something else that you're driven by, if you desire, you know, status or achievements or morality or whatever it is, like, you're, you're going you're gonna to miss what he's calling you to. Now, you might think it's weird that I brought up morality as, as a, a wrong internal desire, Okay. But just think about the scriptures. You know, there's a guy in the Old Testament, his name is Hosea, 
He's a prophet. And, and God says to Hosea, he comes along and he says, Hosea, uh, I want you to marry this woman named Gomer. She was a known prostitute in Israel. Okay? And so Hosea, this prophet of God, he was called to deliver the messages of God. He goes and he marries Gomer. And God is using this as a picture to show Israel. He's saying, Israel, you're, you're like an unfaithful wife to me, yet I still choose to love you. But what was that like for this prophet, Hosea, to go marry Gomer? Like, he had to give up this desire for morality. If, as a prophet and this respected preacher of Israel, he had a desire to be seen as good, he had to give that up to be singularly focused on God. Or Mary. You think about Mary. We talk about it every year at Christmas. Mary, she's this young teenage girl. She's unmarried. And God sends an angel and says, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And it's going to be a miraculous conception. God is going to put this baby inside of you, and you're not married yet. You haven't slept with anybody, and, and you're, going to ha- you're going to give birth to Jesus. And everybody in that time, they all knew Mary was unmarried. So if she was obsessed with morality, would she have been able to be singularly focused on the kingdom of God? No. So, so this simplicity, what Jesus is getting at is these, simplicity is to be singularly focused on the kingdom of God above all else, above desire for status or, or morality or achievements. It's like you get to this point where you say, God, I want your will more than anything else. Whether I have money or whether I have no money, whether I get the awesome job or I don't get the awesome job, my single focus, my, my sole desire is you and you alone. Like that's what Jesus is really getting at. That's why he was able to say with such strong words to that rich young ruler, you, like, if you really want to follow me, give away everything you have. Because he could see this guy was holding on to his wealth. He was holding on to his money as a sense of security. And it was going to actually hinder his walk with God. And so Jesus said, you've got to let that go. If you want to follow me, you've got to let that go. And so in our lives, what is it that, that Jesus is saying, let that go so that you can be singularly focused on me? Paul, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, Paul is the, we're using his testimony as an example for this series that we're in, spiritual formation. Galatians 2.20, we've said that he's sharing that testimony about Jesus in him because that can be true for all of us. And in the book of Philippians, listen to what he says about, about wealth. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living with every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Paul's testimony, okay, he shares his testimony in Galatians 2.20, which we emphasize every week. But here in the Philippians passage, Paul is saying, like, I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm singularly focused on the kingdom of God so that if God wants me to, to, to do something that means that I have all this money and all this wealth, I'll be fine because my focus isn't on that. I don't look to wealth. I don't look to money. I don't look to success to give me my sense of identity, my sense of worth. I look to God for that. So if I have it, fine. If I don't have it, that's also fine. But Paul's words in Philippians like, if, if we're honest, most of us would probably not be able to say that along with Paul. Most of us, we, it's like if I, don't, if I don't have status or I don't have achievement or I don't have money, like I'll lose who I am. Like we, we try so hard to hold on to, to, to this like, uh, to something that we think is going to save us. And Jesus' words to us is the same as what he's saying to this rich young ruler. Just let it go and trust me. There's no need to worry. 
Is, is there something, and just think about this in your own life, is there something from that list, is it, whether it's achievement or success or money, possessions, is there something that you can't imagine losing? Is there something that you're like, man, if I lost that, I would lose my very reason for living? Because if, if there is something, that's what Jesus is saying to you, let that go, give that up and trust me. To, to, be, to, to be somebody who walks in simplicity is to be singularly focused on the kingdom of God. The gospel makes us simple. So when you truly believe, the, when you've experienced the gospel, it actually makes you a person who is simple. Tim Keller says, uh, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You know, that's true that as we're talking about this, there's probably something that's coming up in your mind and heart that you think, I I desire this thing more than I should. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some sin. Maybe maybe it's not even an outright sin. Maybe, maybe there's something from that list that you go, yeah, like if I lost that, I don't even know who I would be or how I would get through in life. The, the gospel says that you and I are more flawed than we would like to admit, but we're also more loved by God than we ever dared imagine. And so to actually believe in Jesus sets us free from all of these inordinate desires. This week uh, at our Overcomers meeting, we talked about uh, Brian Head Welch, and there's a picture on here. Brian Welch, he was the lead guitarist uh, of a band called Korn. And so back in the early 2000s, Korn was like the biggest rock band on the planet. Uh, if, if, you, if you like like metal and screamo and rock music back in the early 2000s, you probably recognize Korn, okay? Uh, anyway, we listened to his testimony this week, and, and uh, I read his story when he first became a Jesus follower because he, he was like, he had reached the top of, of the music charts, okay? He was super successful. He was a millionaire. His band was the most famous rock band on the planet. And, and he, he got to the point where he just didn't even want to live anymore. I think, I think the quote that I put up there is from his book. He said, I love music, but I found myself at the point where I wanted to die. I didn't care about life. He had gotten to this point where, like, all the drugs, all the women, all the success, like, had gotten to this point in his life where it was just, it crushed him. And he realized, like, there's nothing to it. I've reached the top, and it didn't give me what I thought that it would give me. And then he encountered Jesus. And his story is really cool. He's got a book called Save Me From Myself, if you're interested in reading it. But after he encounters Jesus, and he has this crazy Holy Spirit experience. Like, it's, it's a pretty incredible story. But he actually, he goes over and starts an orphanage in Africa, and he gives away millions and millions of dollars. He gets to the point where he's just lost all that he had. But what he's describing in this book was, was what we're talking about here, where he, he came to understand the gospel, and he realized, like, outside of this relationship with God, there is nothing that satisfies And so he actually got to a point in his life where where simplicity became a reality for him because he became singularly focused on the kingdom of God. And he realized all the things that I was chasing after, all the things that I thought were going to give me, you know, some sense of success and identity, like they just, they will not do that. They can't possibly. But he encountered it in God. He encountered it when he surrendered his life to Jesus. And I want to... Uh, I'm going to wrap up with, with inner attitudes of simplicity. We're going to do communion uh, together today. But as, as we're uh, 
thinking about this, what are some of the things in your life that you realized you have an unhealthy relationship with? Man, I, I don't want to miss the possibility that maybe there's some things in your life that are actually sinful, that Jesus is saying, turn from that and repent. But maybe there's some things in your life that look good and that nobody in your life would say is a bad thing. Do you know that, that rich young ruler that came to Jesus, nobody would have told him that he was doing something wrong because he was doing everything right. He was a churchgoer. He was a giver. He was following all the commandments. But Jesus looked at his heart and he said, you worship someone else, something else. You, you, you're looking for your, your sense of meaning and purpose and safety and security to come from, from the things that you have. And you can't possibly encounter me if that's the attitude you have. So to, to, to be a person who's a, like, a simple, to embrace simplicity is to get to this point where we're singularly focused on God and we've, we've just given away all of the other things that we hold on to so dearly. These attitudes of simplicity, let me read them to you. Uh, to have uh, a simplistic attitude is to believe that what we have, we receive as a gift. That what we have is to be cared for by God. And what we have is available to others. You know, I, uh, because I worked in the context I worked in with, with people that were coming out of uh, drugs and addictions and, and homelessness, sometimes I would encounter people that they were angry at people that had nothing. They were angry at the homeless population. You know, I met people that they felt like they fixed their own lives and they became successful because they were disciplined and they did all the right things and they would look at people that had nothing and they'd say, oh, those, those people are just lazy. You know, they're, you know they, they're that way because of their choices and they've made mistakes in their life. And that's this evidence of a, a lack of, of simplicity. If, if we have a, 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 an actual uh, simplicity in our mind and our heart as, in terms of how we think about God, we'll realize everything that you and I have is a gift from God. We don't choose the family we're born into. We don't, we don't choose the time we're born into. That everything we have is a gift from God. And, and to have a, a simplistic attitude and heart is, is to encounter somebody that's lost everything and to, ha and to know, like, but for the grace of God, that could be me. Like, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I could be in that same place. It's to recognize that all that we have is a gift from God. And if you don't have that as your, uh, your mentality, I would encourage you to, to confess that to God. So I'm going to put some practical steps, and then I'm going to pray for us, and, and we'll do communion. But you can put this last slide up, Megan. Uh, and I just want you to ask this question to you. Is your life cluttered? And each week we're trying to end with, with practical steps. And I just want to encourage you, may, maybe take one of these steps this week when, in, in terms of uh, simplicity. If the Lord's convicted you in any way as we're talking about this, uh, take one of these steps. Give something away that you value. I remember when I was younger and I was about to give something away that I didn't like. And uh, my mom actually challenged me. She's like, Nathan, you don't even like that. Why, how's that, like, helpful? Like, give something that's a sacrifice. Like, if you really want to bless somebody, give something away that's going to cost you something. And I've carried that with me in my life. I've thought, like, if I'm going to actually give because God's asking me to, then, then I should give sacrificially. Tithing. You know, we don't talk about tithing a ton, but I would encourage you with all my heart, not because I'm the pastor of this church. Maybe you go to some other church. But, like, be, like give a percentage of your money to God as an act of faith, as an act of worship. 
know, people get the wrong idea when, when churches talk about money and tithing. People think, oh, their church is just greedy. They want it all. No, like if you actually study what the scriptures teach us about tithing, the reason God asks us to give is because he doesn't want us to have an unhealthy relationship with our money. Tithing actually in the Old Testament starts off at, it's like a 10% thing. But as a Jesus follower, Jesus, sometimes he tells people like the rich young ruler, give everything. Sometimes Jesus has called people to give 50% of their income, like to be sacrificial. And the reason is, is because we, we often have this unhealthy relationship with money and God is saying, do you trust me? Tithing is one of the ways that we can, we can actually trust God because it's sacrificial and it's challenging. And if it's not something you've prayed about, I encourage you to, to think about that prayerfully. Lord, how can I give to you on a regular basis in a way that costs me, in a way that's going to make me trust you? I'll just say, when Vicky and I were first married, tithing, there was times where we were like, it was a sacrifice. It was challenging. But as we learned to trust God, we realized that he, he is a provider, and he provides in incredible ways like Kaya was talking about. Declutter. Do you have more shoes than you need, more snowshoes than you use, more jackets than you need? Like, give it away. Not just the stuff you don't like, but sacrificially. Wear simple clothing. Think of ways to draw attention to God rather than to self. Okay, these are just some simple practical steps. If you're following along in the book that we're studying, uh, there's some more suggestions in there. But if you're convicted at all, if you, if you realize, man, there's some things I'm holding on to in my heart and life that are unhealthy, actually take some steps to do something about it and do it as an act of worship to God. Not like these aren't actions that earn you a place with God, but if you trust Him, take some of these steps and say, God, I'm doing this as an act of worship and trust to you. So I'm going to invite the, the team to come up. We're going to, we're going to uh, celebrate communion together, um, but as they're coming up, I'm just going to pray for us, and uh, I'm just going to pray that if the Lord is challenging us to take any of these steps, uh, that we'll do so with courage and boldness and experience His transforming work as we, as we do so. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I just I thank you for this, this topic of, of simplicity, and, and Lord, it's, it's one that hits close to our hearts. So many of us, we hold on to things of this world. We hold on to, to status or to possessions or to achievements or even to our sense of morality or human relationships and as if those things are going to save us. And Jesus, you're calling us into this deeper life, Lord. You, you, you've called us into this, this relationship with you where we realize you've done everything necessary to save us and you're just asking us to trust you. You're inviting us to be singularly focused on your ways, your thoughts, and your kingdom. And I pray that you would give us, as your people, the boldness to say yes to you. And Lord, if there's any of us that are in this room that are struggling with the, any of these things, that you'd, you'd just give us the, the, the courage we need to turn from things that, that you're asking us to turn from so that we can fully embrace you wholeheartedly. We love you, God. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, I'm going to invite us to stand.